0: Warning, this podcast contains foul language, sexual situations, and discussions of drugs and drinking. Yeah.
1: Welcome Welcome to to Fuck
2: Shakespeare, Shakespeare, a podcast for the Shakespeareanly
1: challenged. And anyone who really enjoys some saucy dick jokes. Teachers, we might insult you a little bit, sorry. Okay, everybody. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hi. Hi, I'm Erin, and I'm Diana, and this is Folk Shakespeare. Yep, yeah. yeah. yes. this is Hamlet. Oh no! Hamlet <laughs> the Danish. Hamlet the Danish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was from an awesome play. Complete Works of Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. That so fun. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! What to say about this play? Because, like, everybody and their mother has said things about this play, right? It is the most written-about play in the entire universe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and we, in our culture, think we know stuff about it. But the way that it's presented to those of us who don't know it, don't get information from those presentations. In other words, it, it isn't... <laughs> Yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, everyone's dead at the end. Well, not everybody, but almost everybody is dead at the end, as is Shakespeare's want. But, for instance, we talked about at the end of Romeo and Juliet, we talked a little bit about to be or not to be and what that means. And I asked you guys to think about that question.
1: And does anybody have an answer to that? No. 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 It's a
2: pretty deep play. So let's talk a little bit about the environment in which this play takes place. Okay, let me just say, as we've said before, that you can set it anywhere. You you can make it modern, you can make it ancient, you can, you know, you can do any of that stuff. But the fact remains that when Shakespeare was writing this play, there were certain parameters that he was living within.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and he was, at, well, this is the only play he sets in Denmark, which is interesting. Like, what the fuck does he know about Denmark? But it turns out that Elsinore, the royal seat of the Danish kings, uh, they invited players there all the time. So not Shakespeare's company, but some of his friends had mm-hmm. actually gone there to play. Yeah. So maybe he heard a little bit about that somehow that was cool, um, and in fact he alludes to it in the player scene where he's like the most fantastical players in the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, have Polonius introduce his friends as the greatest people ever. But Very funny, also,
2: you know that when they finally do get on a boat to England, there's some issues. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> we will get there. Yeah. Um, but but so um, corruption.
1: Yeah, it's really a bad deal, because in the very beginning of the play, we'll learn that Hamlet's uncle has taken over the throne. So it, you don't need to know anything about the murder, first of all. Right. It, you know, the so-called murder, the alleged murder. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just to know that that ain't
2: right. Right. So let you guys already know this, right? So a king is the firstborn son of a king. Yeah. Right. And if there is no firstborn son, eventually it becomes the firstborn daughter, but not in these days. But if there is no son and no daughter and no other person, because you don't. In that
1: direct line. Right. In that direct
2: line. I mean, you don't leave it to the queen. No. Right. So uh, only then does a second son inherit. Only does it go
1: sideways if there's nothing below the first son at all. Right. right. So the fact that Hamlet is alive and living and on the stage in the second scene, and yet his uncle is like, hello, I'm king, is wrong. And all the Elizabethans would know that. Yeah, would know that. And the people in the environment, many of them had to have been complicit somehow, like said, OK, yeah, let's have Claudius right. as king instead of, hey, wait. That's what not about how that Hamlet? works? <laughs> Let's wait for Hamlet to come back from school. He's supposed to be king. So there's a lot of guilt, a lot of hands in pockets, a lot of corruption, right? Yep.
2: And it's a that's a dangerous court to be in. Yeah, because you have to keep your mouth shut and your wits about you because if you have information that can tarnish the reputation of the people who were complicit in Claudius's rise
1: to the throne, then you're dangerous and they will take you out. So however it happened, and people make lots of different interpretations as to how this happened, but however it happened, now that it has happened, Claudius is the guy, the top guy. right? And so it's very hard to now say... Oh, gee, sorry, Hamlet. We should put you on the throne. That's not going to happen. It's right. not going to happen.
2: And Hamlet wasn't that far away. I mean, he was in no. Germany. Yeah. Right? So Denmark to Germany, I mean, in those days, that's long. Yeah, yeah it's but, a
1: week's ride or something. But still, like, you know, you can't wait, wait a week for a new king. So so that's bad. That is, no, no matter how you look at it, there, that's corrupt. And then we have to think about, then, who are the vulnerable people in that environment, right? Right. I think primarily the women are very vulnerable, right? Because especially Gertrude, however this went down, you know, and somebody like, some people like to say, oh, but she was really actually in love with Claudius, and so she's grateful to have Claudius as a husband. Well, where, where, where do we know that?
2: Yeah. How do we know that? I mean, I think that's an actress's choice. Sure. Can be. You know, that can color how she proceeds to play this part but but there's nothing in the text that lets us know that and if you think about it if you're married to the king and the king dies who you're not she? the queen anymore right who you're, is she yeah you're just you're the you're the mother of the prince who didn't get to be king
1: because right especially if her son is not going to inherit if her son inherits she's then she's the queen mother, mother. and that's, and that's fine. fine it's a lot of status that's right. great not a lot of power, but a lot of status. status. But without her husband being king, then who is she in that court? She she is nobody in that court
2: and and can be rem- removed yeah. her whole life. Sent away. Sent, yeah, right? To a nunnery! Go! <laughs> oh.
1: well,
2: there's a lot of nunnery shit, right? Yeah. We already we already touched on the nunnery at the end of R&J. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's more nunnery stuff For here. For Christ's sake, yeah, yeah, this is
1: the famous nunnery stuff. That's Okay, famous. That's the other thing about this play is so much of it is stuff that you will have heard, guys. You're going to hear it. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for Uh God's sake. Uh Everybody quotes that. When you go off to college, maybe your father will say, you know, to thine own self be true. And you know what you can say to him? Fuck off. Dad, no,
2: no. Dad, (laughs) don't be Polonius.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Polonius got in a whole lot of trouble. And why he's like one of the he's definitely complicit. In oh, some absolutely! Oh, for him to have been like the closest lord noble to King Hamlet, and then again to Claudius, Claudius, right? Is like, oh come on, you can't tell me you didn't know shit. No, he did. Fuck off. He totally did. Right? Yeah, and so uh, I think
2: Laertes is complicit. Yeah, that's and, that's Ophelia's brother, Polonius's son. son.
1: Yeah, so some people know some shit. Yep. And so Polonius becomes, in the course of the play, a spy, as do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. We'll hear about them later, right? And you've heard about, you've heard the names Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. They get thrown around a
2: lot also, but they are interchangeable friends of Hamlet's from school. Wittenberg.
1: Wittenberg. And they are summoned as spies by Claudius. So, the spies, I think, are also vulnerable people. Absolutely. Spies like this.
2: And we see that, don't we?
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) We're not going to ruin that for you, but yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, those are interesting things to think about. And the whole concept of revenge.
2: Yeah, this play is a lot of revenge.
1: Yeah. There's so many. There's not just Hamlet. No. It's not just Hamlet finding out how his father died and then having to take the responsibility of figuring out what to do with that information. Right. But there's then Laertes later on. Revenge, revenging Ophelia. Yeah. And then Fortinbras, who is this weird character that often is cut, but his whole storyline is so parallel to Hamlet that right. it's really interesting to And he lives at the too. end. And he lives and he inherits. Everything. Spoiler. Ah, sorry. Sorry.
2: <laughs> um, because uh, Hamlet the king, Hamlet's father, King Hamlet,
1: killed Fortinbras' father. father. Also named Fortinbras. So confusing. Unfair. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Shakespeare. No, I mean, maybe it was... Yeah, that's the other thing. Based on truth? Well,
2: so I was just going to say, mm-hmm. I don't know, but Shakespeare had... A son, yeah, whose name was Hamnet
1: yeah, not Hamlet. and he died a very few years just before. Um, so he died in 1596 and Shakespeare was writing this around 1598 99. It first starts being talked about in 99, 1600. and then Shakespeare's father died in 1601. And that's about when the first performances of Hamlet were recorded. So this ghost in the scene that we're going to do in a little bit could very well, it's the ghost of a father, could very well be like, yikes, the scary ghost of my father. Shakespeare's relationship with his father was very weird, probably, because I'm sure he was expected to go into the family business, Right. right, and being trained as a glover. And the next thing you know, he's married some some wench, some Anne, a few years older than him, some Anne chick, and and had a couple of babies, and then popped on down to London to become an at, a what? An actor? <laughs> you did you what? Be now? you fucking
2: kidding me? Think about how we do that with our children today, right? You want to be a what now? But a what? in those days, when acting was like you know, like we said, disreputable. Yeah, profession,
1: profession, right next to the whores and all that. Yeah, and, and, and status, exactly. <laughs> right. Which is why women couldn't
2: be on stage, right? Because it it, it them.
1: Ugh, So it's yeah. right out. <laughs> right <laughs> out. Um. So revenge. What do we What do we think about revenge? We modern people. What do is we a think thing? about it? Of course, it is.
2: Revenge is a dish best served cold.
1: Mm, that's a good quote. Uh-huh.
2: Um, we talk about revenge, and we and we have revenge in a lot of our our movies and television shows as a driving human
1: uh, force. Right? Force, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Condition. Um, I think most often we associate it with like mafia things, right? Like that's an easy identifier, you know. Yep. Vendetta. Yeah.
0: Ah, but Primes now we're not water. in Italy,
1: which is funny. You know, right. Now. Right. <laughs> right? So we've moved mm-hmm. away from Italy, and yet here we have this really Italian concept.
2: Right. You know. And, uh, you know, the Old Testament,
1: an eye for an I'm. Yeah. Right. A tooth for a tooth, just like rip that guy's heart out if he did something bad to you. So, Yeah. But the now we say an eye for an eye makes, makes the, the whole world work. blind, right? Yeah. Because we're
2: we're better than that, no?
1: Are we? No,
2: <laughs> no, no, because we're still doing revenge. Look at our politics. Yeah, we're still doing revenge. It's very sad. Mm. Okay.
1: Oh. And yes, it is taking the law into your own hands. Yeah, revenge, right? Mm-hmm. And if you, especially in 1601. If you killed another person, you were assuming God's work, right? You were putting an end to a life, which should only be God's work. Right. And that's a sin. And that's a huge sin. So the revenger never found pardon, no matter what, apparently. We, i, I just—okay, uh, just a little—I wanted to make this a
2: short episode. It's not going to be
1: short. <laughs> um, uh, just
2: a little side note. You know me. I have politics, and I voice my views on you. I have
1: politics. I have politics,
2: (laughs) and I apologize for that. But So let's just think about that from a a Christian or Judeo-Christian—not so much Judeo, I'm going to take that out—but from a Christian perspective, right? The taking of a life is a sin because it's taking God's job in your own hands. Yeah. So, why is the death penalty okay? It's not. i I, right. I don't think it is, but no. like how do how do they excuse that? How do they excuse that? because it is it is I mean, do they assume that God is working through them?
1: Yeah, that's a lot of like ego Jesus.
2: I would say yeah. that that's hubris that God in. If you believe, I am not a believer, as you know, but like if I believe that God controls all and then then these puny little humans have the audacity to say, oh, well, God's working through me.
1: God told me to kill this person. I would smite them if I were God. Yes. Smite, smite, smite. Smite, smite. Old Testament shit right Right, there. Right there. Smite, smite. Yeah. Okay. sorry.
2: (laughs) Off my soapbox.
1: It's okay. Yeah so hamlet
2: so so if he kills claudius he has sinned in an irreparable way and he's doomed
1: to and hell so he struggles with that the whole Play. Mm-hmm. So this play has a lot of religious undertones, guys. Uh, so, so, so much. Well, I know this is getting about as far from dick jokes as we could possibly but, get. But, but can I say <laughs> there are dick jokes oh, plenty. and there are pussy jokes oh, in yes. this play. So many. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, I know this first part we're getting so serious. Serious. All
2: right. So w- w- we're going to we're going to wrap up this part and we're going to tell you that what's coming next is an interview with our friend Nina. Nina was in Children Shakespeare uh, with Diana for, for many, eight, eight, ten years, ten years. Yeah. 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 Did many, many roles, both with uh, the younger company, the teenage company and then the adult company. Yeah. So fun.
1: Um, yeah. And we're going to make this a regular feature. We're going to have some interviews with some students coming up, um, some of them younger, some of them who are going to be currently in a production of Hamlet.
0: Right. Which who really are seniors fun.
1: in high school. So fun. Yeah. And so they'll be talking from a very raw perspective of having just approached the play and not entirely understanding what it's going to be all about and what their character is doing they're just exploring it now which is kind of cool yeah it's very so maybe cool. we'll have to hit them up in march after they do it
2: yeah and see
1: what they think then right
2: right Com- yeah compare and contrast so here comes nina and on the other side of nina's interview we'll get into the meat of the first scene we want to introduce you to, to our friend
1: nina. yeah Yay, nina Hello. would you introduce yourself and say your pronouns please
0: Sure. Hello. I'm Nina Carbone. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I am an actor and theater artist and also a soon-to-be psychologist and neuroscientist. I'm studying those right now.
2: Because um, Nina's uh, not at all an over <laughs> <laughs>
1: Awesome.
0: That's so exciting.
1: Your new course of study is really cool. Yeah. And where are you going to school? Tell them.
0: Uh, right now, I go to school at Rhode Island College. I'm getting my B.A. in psychology, my bachelor's in science and chemical dependency.
1: Nice. Oh, so cool. We know you because you are a longtime member of the Children's Shakespeare Theater, and uh, we got the great, grand pleasure of working with you on wonderful projects. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And Nina is yeah. a very bold actor, very um willing to do, like, all kinds of things, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That took on a wide variety of roles and stage yes. combat <laughs> and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. Yes. But there was a time when you didn't know anything about Shakespeare, right? Can you uh, yes. remember that?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, my first experiences with Shakespeare were with the Toten Shakespeare Theater. Before I joined as a student, I uh, came to see plays which were so magical and I wanted to be up on that stage you know for myself but yeah there was a time I didn't know Shakespeare I mean I grew up in an artistic home but uh, plays and Shakespeare were never really a part of it so it is a little intimidating at first but once you can get into it especially if you're on the stage yourself it can be this life-changing experience
2: yeah for yeah sure so when you first heard about Shakespeare how old were you
0: Probably like seven or eight.
2: And and do you, can you remember back to what kind of thoughts hearing that name generated for yeah. you at seven or eight?
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know much. I knew something to do with theater, and he was like this dead old English guy, and <laughs> people really looked up to him. But besides that, I didn't know much. Besides that, like, it's kind of this big name.
2: There was weight to the name.
0: Yeah,
1: lots of weight. Okay, and seemed like Pretty something. Important and scary. Yeah. Yeah. Super why why yeah, do you scary. think
2: why do you think that we all have that reaction? Like, yeah. big, heavy, yeah. Dude, like <laughs> what what
1: is that yeah. about? Dead old white guy thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well I think in today's society, when you hear the name Shakespeare, you think of I don't know, this kind of like almost like uppity Bourgeoisie thing that is not accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you actually start to experience it, it's pretty much the opposite of that. But the name Shakespeare, because he's so famous and we still, you know, his name has been so famous for so long like there's hundreds of years on top of that name. And for someone who celebrated for so long, you can't help but feel a little scared in that shadow. But I mean, I think Shakespeare. He didn't write to the higher class people. And nobody knows that, or not nobody, but like a lot of people don't know that. People who don't know Shakespeare don't know that he wrote for the common person. Mm-hmm. So um, I think once you know that, there's you not take off weight, but it becomes less intimidating. If you don't know that, yeah, it's just this like uppity classical Shakespeare, only like fancy people go to see his plays. Yeah. This place, yeah. So for everybody.
1: So do you, um, can you remember like a time where like, you know, suddenly there was a window open and you were like, Oh,
0: Oh, I get it. Kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, it was definitely with Children's Shakespeare theater. It's when I was 10 and was a fairy of Titania. I, and I just had so much fun on stage dancing with the other fairies. And it's not intimidating when you're in the moment It's fun because you're in costumes and you're dancing and singing and or even when you play like a really large character, the weight of that character kind of drops away and then you're just there. And I think that's how Shakespeare intended to write all those roles. It's there in the moment. There's no weight to Hamlet or Juliet. It's just you are the character. The weight drops away. And I think when I was 10 and was this fairy, that's when that weight dropped away because then I was in it and it didn't seem so scary anymore. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So you use the, you use the word play a lot. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Talk about that. Like people don't approach it as playing.
0: Yeah. And how does that I think, well, that's, you know, we call it playing and actors play because that's exactly what it is. You're playing, you're playing this role and, you're supposed to have fun with it and I think when you're just reading Shakespeare unless you're like you know a Shakespeare expert or really into it it can be intimidating to read this huge thick book that's just uh, old English like a language you don't really understand and like who talks like this nobody and it's hard to understand and But I think it's really important to, even if you're not doing the whole production, to get up on your feet and kind of assign roles to people so you can like speak it and be in the moment and act it out and play with the role, play with the text. And then you get out of your head so much and you get out of like, uh, this language is really hard because even when you're speaking it and the language might be hard, you're using your body and that takes so much pressure off, like the almost intellectual part of it, because it's now it's in your brain and body. And so you're able to play out the text, which just makes it fun. I mean, I mean, some people have stage, right? I don't, but it's <laughs> like, and I understand that that's really intimidating, but if you're just reading it for the sake of learning or just reading it for the sake of fun, there's no pressure and you can just be in the moment, play the words and the words really do the work. Shakespeare is magical in that way because he wrote for the actor and there's, mm-hmm. there's not as much work that you have to do that you might think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, as a reader of Shakespeare and an actor of Shakespeare, when you come across a word that you don't know what it means because mm-hmm. there are words that we don't use anymore, how do you approach that? What do you what do you do with that?
0: I think it's when you come across a line or a word that you don't know, I think it's very helpful to use like <gasps> context clues. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel like i Hi, dogs That's okay. <laughs> um, I think it's really helpful to use like all the context you can. And you kind of start from this expanded view of the play, the character, the scene. And then you can like kind of narrow it down to the exact word. Cause but well, you can think of like, what's the character going through in the play in general, and then in the scene, and like kind of what's their backstory, then those words, those tiny words you don't know, don't have so much weight. So when you use the context, and then you read the monologue, well, you can go through it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's much easier to understand those things you might not know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What's she barking at? <laughs> she just wants to play, but I can totally... Right. Sure
1: no,
2: can no, it. it's good. You know what? She's doing her Shakespeare. <laughs>
1: She's doing her Shakespeare, saying her speeches. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's
2: a soliloquy. <laughs> yeah. um, oh
0: Let me just get her one thing. So okay. She's okay. Just marquee, my she does okay. this yeah, yeah. on literally yeah, yeah. every podcast I record. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so once you got to high school and you were working with Shakespeare in the classroom, what was that like? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I was always really excited for Shakespeare units. But when they come along, there's like a feeling of dread in the room which I never experienced, but it's, like, it's so thick that you can't help but, like, you know, feel the weight of it from everybody else.
1: Um, Did you say fear? There's a fear?
0: There's a fear, fear. and there's, like, a fear and, like, a feeling of dread, I feel like, yeah, Um, because I think it goes back to that kind of, like, why does this have any context in our life? It's, like, just for, like, uppity theater people. And I think it doesn't help when a teacher approaches it from that point of view, too. Because I think in my experience, lots of my English teachers, they brought up Shakespeare in a way that was like, yeah, we're doing Shakespeare now, and I know you're all going to hate it. But that oh, doesn't help anybody. you know? That's such a bad setup. Oh, my God. I agree. <laughs> it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, yeah. if you feel that way, of course your students are going to feel that way. Yeah. Did any
2: of your teachers ever say why we still study Shakespeare all these centuries later?
0: I can't remember like any teacher doing that. If they did, it was more just like this is a classic piece of work and it's part of the curriculum kind of thing, you know. But they didn't go into like the why it's still Oh, good. that's oh. awful because it's like, oh, we yeah. have to. We have to yeah. do it. We have
1: to. Oh, it's a burden that we're all going to bear. Blech. Yeah. 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 Do you
2: it's think fun. Nina, do you think that your teachers on the whole understood a why they were teaching it and B, what they were teaching? Like did they understand the plays and how accessible they are I mean
0: I mean maybe in some schools I really never got that feeling at least my public high school experience yeah I think it just I, I just feel like some of the teachers and the students who weren't into Shakespeare had that same feeling of dread like I think it's like the teachers they probably know why it's on there but it's like they don't really feel the reason it's on there and it's like they are expecting the students to hate it, so then they dread teaching it. Yeah, and wow. so it's just an overall bad vibe. Oh, so
1: sad. It is sad. So, um, did you feel a responsibility in the classroom to try to help kids love it, or? Like... Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Cause I mean, they all knew I was part of like Shakespeare theater, and so they were like, they all knew I was gonna be like the one to nerd out and like I, like read all <laughs> the parts. And, yeah, I mean, I even had some teachers be like, Nina, can you explain this? Excellent. And like, I was kind of did their job, which I didn't mind because, of course, I love to talk about Shakespeare. But it's like <laughs> I think sometimes if you have that one student who's really into it, the teachers kind of, like, want to put it on you. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to like, do their part of it.
1: Yeah, but in a way that's brave of them to allow yeah. a power shift there for a second, you know, to, yeah. to let the student have that power. Why not? Right.
2: No. Yeah. That's that. It's good. But but it doesn't help your classmates. Then they're like, "Okay, we have to do this thing that we're dreading. And Nina's the only one who understands it.
1: And Nina, I'm going to cheat off your paper.
2: (laughs) You know, which is it's not so it's not engendering (laughs) a love of of it in your fellow students unless your enthusiasm is infectious, is infectious, which is hard to overcome dread. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I was always enthusiastic and I hope that kind of. You know, that made other students enthusiastic, but there's only so much you can do if the teacher doesn't have your back either, you know? Right. right.
1: I know there yeah. were some who came to see you, you know, who were yeah. like, yeah, Nina talks about this, and so I'm going to try it. So you won over yeah. a couple, you know?
0: I did win over a couple, and they would come to see me, and I think they enjoyed it. I always think Shakespeare is a little more enjoyable for, kind of like, newbies if they see it on stage. Yeah. If yes. they see it in, like, a, a film or something. It's because it then it puts the words into actions. Because I mean, if if you haven't performed Shakespeare for a long time, Old English can be really hard. But if you have like the body movement to go along with the text, then it makes it easier to understand.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And, and I, I think schools should bring students to like plays, part of the curriculum. Yes. I think that helps people get Into the text a lot more.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you're gonna teach it, right? You're gonna use it as part of your teaching or your therapy yeah. and stuff. So how uh, yeah. how You know, are there are there ways that you imagine that you're going to do some things differently?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've come back to CST to teach and that's always been a really wonderful experience for me. But um, now that I'm going to this more kind of science STEM uh, work, I don't think that means you have to take theater out of that because I'm I'm going to psychology. And I just wrote this huge paper on the interconnection between theater and psychology, because I really think they are, you know, you can't have one without the other because especially with Shakespeare I mean I believe Shakespeare really writes about the human condition mm-hmm. like yeah. no other playwright does and the reason that we continue to perform his work hundreds of years later is because people can still connect to what he's saying mm-hmm. and he, and he's he's able to reach so deep inside the soul and the heart that I just don't feel we will ever stop ever stop performing him and I I mean in my stem work I've I think I've quoted Shakespeare in every scientific paper I've written because <laughs> his work is just, it's so valuable. And you can't, I mean, for someone who's done Shakespeare for over a decade now, you can't escape it. And I think I think it's really applicable to every field. I mean, definitely in psychology and neuroscience, but I think you can find ways to use it in so many different fields. And so, yes, I will continue to use Shakespeare and his work and his philosophies throughout my entire career, I think.
1: Neat. Yeah. I mean that whole applicable everywhere thing. Like yesterday I was watching yeah. an episode of RuPaul's drag race mm-hmm. and yeah. there was a whole, you know, Shakespeare component to he had the yeah. competition be the Shakespeare um place And he said oh, yeah. Shakespeare uh invented the word drag dressed oh, yeah. as a girl. Right? Wow. And I was like, Wow, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that. That didn't that's so funny. <laughs> I love it. I love that. RuPaul that's and Shakespeare. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Um, so we're going to do some, just some fun things for the last bit. Sure. Um, uh, just off, totally off the top of your head. Okay.
2: So if you were to cast Hamlet in a modern Mm. production and you can use anybody, cartoon characters, other Shakespearean characters, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you were to cast the role of Hamlet in a modern production, who would you choose and why?
0: I mean, uh, could it be an actor too? It could be anyone. Um, I mean, someone who I think is very talented and uh, powerful right now is um, Adam Driver. I think he's very—he's very, oh. uh, he's very uh, much a chameleon. Mm. But I think—I mean—I really think with Hamlet, and um, just any large role, it's that weight comes back because Hamlet is such a huge name. But I think it's it comes, it does come down to skill, of course, but I think it also comes down to the personality of the person. Because if you get cast as like a huge role like Hamlet, but you're not able to be humble about it, that kind of ego will take over your role. Uh And I think you have to be humble in your skill set and in your personality in order to play big roles like that. Because I think if you let your ego get in the way of true connection with the character and letting the character speak to you there's no way it's going to be a good performance mm-hmm. i think uh i mean there's so many good actors right now and but i think adam driver is a humble he seems like a humble man and i think uh he would be able to perform him well
2: i love that casting he comes off as so brooding i think it's really yeah. nice
0: True. right yes. he's, he, very, brooding too. he's <laughs> very brooding
2: right he's like, yeah. yeah and and also you could play with things like height differentials yeah right so which would giant. be so interesting right <laughs> yeah. like if yeah. you made claudius really small really small yeah. how interesting would that be so fun yeah That'd be
0: so fun love yeah. it love it and then
2: hamlet's ghost of course would have to be
1: tall super tall yeah super yeah. tall
0: yeah, yeah. Like, yeah.
2: intimidate hamlet yeah. yeah oh
1: i love it yeah. i love it what's your favorite character in any of the shakespeare
0: plays I mean, I always go to The Fool in King Lear. He's Mm. been one of my favorite roles for so long. But I I do tend to be more drawn to those kind of supporting characters like Horatio, Mercutio, Tybalt, Puck, Ariel, The Fool, and The Nurse because I think those characters really drive the play and they are there to kind of like fuel the main lead characters. Um, And when you play a supporting character like that, I think you have much more room to kind of play with it. So, yes, I always I, The Fool is, has always been one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I love with the those
1: fool. supporting characters, you don't feel that like you've been talking about that weight, right? Because, yeah. you know, the play isn't called um, Gertrude, right? So you, yeah. You, you, yeah. instead of Hamlet, right, you could you could have yeah. a little more. Wouldn't that be nice if whoever's playing Gertrude has a little fun
2: yeah well that's the other thing about hamlet i feel like you know nobody has fun with hamlet except maybe the gravediggers oh for sure right Uh, but even then even then depending on the director and polonius
1: hopefully uh, i've seen so many (laughs) really onerous
2: poloniuses Poloniuses, Uh. and he's so (laughs) fucking (laughs) funny (laughs) yeah
1: but like we we
2: miss the humor in that play so much yeah yeah
1: yeah, and you can't. Yeah. You can't sit there for hours and not have humor. You have to have it. Of
0: course. Hamlet have to have has it, to be and funny like, and light. Of course, yes. I was just thinking, like, with these, like, the brooding characters, like Hamlet, It that doesn't mean Hamlet, there isn't any comedy or humor yeah. in his Lines like Hamlet can is kind of like a doofus sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think if you just play him as brooding and depressed the whole time, it's boring. You want to have that diversity.
1: It's very one note. Right. He's a roller coaster. Hamlet is. He's
0: a total roller coaster. Right.
2: Hawk from a handsaw Mm. and I mean he
0: what the fuck are you talking about?
2: That's a really (laughs) I mean, I think that's fucking hilarious. And also when he asks Ophelia, do you mean country matters. country Matters. <laughs> Tree yeah. Matters. Yeah. You know, he's he's and this is why I think Adam Driver is a great choice, because Adam Driver yeah. is Mercurial, right? He is.
1: Definitely. He could be up and down and Definitely. all around if he lets himself. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we can do a little lightning round. The last one. Okay. Sure. Just like whatever comes out of your mouth is totally fine. Okay. So We're gonna okay. just throw a couple Shakespeare words at you and see what happens. Okay. Sure. Okay. Oh, uh, fartle. Fartle. Fart. <laughs> of <laughs> course. Uh, wanton.
0: Wanton. Uh, sex. Yeah. Clodpole. Apple. Oh, stripping. Ooh, <laughs> nice. nice.
1: Uh, Apple John.
0: We're done. <laughs> pie pie mm-hmm.
1: swoop steak
0: swoop steak birds oh nice. mm-hmm. liberty
1: gibbet oh
0: <laughs> drunkenness <laughs> drunkenness <laughs> fun one
1: more uh wiki.
0: <laughs> oh i think of kittens, <laughs> <I love> kittens.
1: <laughs> yeah, <So cute. laughs> comrade heard you say kittens it's like wait a minute no kittens no kittens allowed (laughs) all right my sweet so fun all right this was so fun thank you for having me thank you for coming (laughs) on and we're so excited i I didn't
0: ramble too much i could talk about shakespeare all day
1: you and you and us both yeah yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) totally fine
1: We'll say. should we say goodbye? No, we'll do that. We'll, yeah. yeah. So we're just going to say but We'll say goodbye to Nina. Yeah, thank you okay. Nina. Thank you. Thank and you know when this when
2: this whole Panini is over, we'll see you in person.
1: Panini. Definitely, it's Panini. Definitely. <laughs> bye. Well, bye. So,
2: scene 1. Scene 1. And uh, it's going to be a little confusing because there are four characters Diana's playing too and I'm playing two, but we will try and differentiate our voices so that you know who's.
1: Who. Yeah. And set the scene. They're on a battlements, right?
2: Which um, is, say, like what at a the battle- top, say, Yeah,
1: Yeah. At the top of a castle. So they're on guard, they're on watch, looking out for. Approaching people, approaching armies. Who right, knows? they're protecting like the castle. Thing, right? And you'll hear them, like, wonder about why is there so much concern about the watch? Mm. Um, because everybody's got, like, very strict schedules on the watch. And so they're waiting for each other. And, and then there's another factor that comes into play is that they have seen something. They know what they think A couple it is. of nights before. And so they're very nervous. So the whole feeling is of, like... <gasps> And also, Everybody's
2: right, so remember what we, what we talked about before um, Before we listened to lovely Nina, was that this this was a corrupt court. And so you can assume, I think, that one of the reasons there is an intensive watch going on is to make sure nobody tries to overthrow. Yeah. Because yeah. Claudius is not the rightful king. Right. And remember, God chooses
1: the king. So there's that. There's the recent Fortinbras incident. Incident. Right. And right, where oh, Hamlet and then, Hamlet Sr. killed Fortinbras Sr. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of reasons to be nervous. Right. So we can always learn a lot, you guys, from any play from the first line. Yes. What is the temperature of the play? And if the first line of the play is who's there, that, that's going to tell you already, like, <gasps>
2: mm-hmm. what is it? Okay, here we go. Kay. I'm going to be Bernardo first,
1: deep voice. Who's there? Nay, answer me! Stand and unfold yourself. Long live the king, Bernardo. He. Great. So notice the tempo of this, right? Yeah. So we've got Francisco saying "stand and," he's like stuttering, ha, ha, right? Mm-hmm. And then "long live the king," right? Which doesn't, king? He doesn't
2: say "long live King Claudius." Claudius. <laughs> <laughs> he says "long live the king" because.
1: You might get your throat slit if you say the wrong the king. The wrong king. So we have, and we have a triple shared line. Long live the king, Bernardo, he, which also has two empty beats. So they're almost like. <sighs> right. <sighs> at the end there, right? Right. And he meaning I am he. I'm he. I'm, I'm, I'm Bernardo. In. Right. And then there's a bit where they establish the small characters, Bernardo, Francisco, etc. And then another character comes in. Francisco says, I think I hear them. Stand. Ho, who's there? So it's like the same process for anyone coming in. Like, who's there? Identify yourself immediately. (laughs) And Horatio says, friends to this ground. Interesting. And Marcellus says, and Leishman to the Dane. The Dane. Right. The
2: Dane. And that's a shared line. That's a shared line. The two of them are like, calm down, come down, (laughs) you know? Right, so liege men being uh, servants of people yes. who are, are Sworn conscripted, to. right, yeah. um, to the Dane, the king.
1: The Dane. But later you'll see that Hamlet is also called Hamlet the Dane. Yes. So that could be obscure, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, friends to this ground. And then Marcella says, give you good night.
2: Oh, farewell, honest soldier.
1: So he's leaving, and there's also shared lines. So all these shared lines, you guys, and hopefully you've been following along. You know what I mean by that. Two characters sharing the same line rhythm, the ten beats. The effect of it is to pick up the movement. It's to really move the play fast. Yeah. Right? Pick up the pace. So this first scene is not everybody squinting around in the dark, kind of, you know, carefully talking. No, they're freaking out. Yeah. Freaking out.
2: So Francisco leaves. Yeah. And Bernardo says, Welcome, Horatio. Welcome, good Marcellus. What? Has this thing appeared again tonight? I have seen nothing. Horatio says tis but our fantasy, and will not let belief take hold of him, touching this dreaded sight twice seen of us. Therefore, I have entreated him
1: along with us to watch the minutes of this night. And, like, watch the minutes. Like, each minute is eking by, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because they're (laughs) panicking, right?
2: That if again this apparition come,
1: he may approve our eyes and speak to it. So that's the first words we hear about something that's not an army (laughs) or another human being. An apparition. What could that be? Well, we'll find out. Yeah. (laughs) And why did they bring Horatio here? Because Horatio doesn't
2: believe them. They went to him and they said, hey, we saw this apparition and it freaked us out. And Horatio was like, she didn't see anything. Right. Stop it. And they're like, no, no, you got to come. You're you're, you're really good friends with Hamlet and this is really important and you got to come. Yeah. And Horatio's like, Psh,
1: all right, I'll come. For goodness <laughs> sake. Whatever. You guys in your ghost sightings or whatever. Right. Right. But also they're soldiers. Right. And they're much lower status. Right. Right? So they can't just go walking up to the king and go, hey, we saw a ghost on the battlements. Um, uh, well, they could. They but, could. Yeah. They'd be thrown in a dungeon yeah. for being crazy. Right. Right? So they need someone of higher status to corroborate yep. their seeing. Yep. And Horatio answers, tush, tush, twill not appear. So you're going to see that word. It looks like tush. It's not tush. It's not a bottom. It's not a butt. It's tush. Tush. And it means like he's like dismissing this. Like Give me a break. Right. So go do go again. Good. Tush, tush, twill not appear. Sit
2: down a while. Yeah, and Bernardo cuts him off. Yeah. Right?
1: He's like, shut up and listen.
2: Yeah. And let us once again assail your ears that are so fortified against our story, what we have two nights seen.
1: Well, sit we down and let us hear Bernardo speak of this.
2: Last night of all, when yon same star that's westward from the pole had made his course to illumine that part of heaven where now it burns, Marcellus and myself, the bell then beating one. Peace! Break thee off! Look where it comes again! In the same figure, like the king that's dead. Thou art a scholar!
1: Speak to it, Horatio!
2: Looks it
1: not like the king? Mark it, Horatio. Good. So we're starting to get some extra beats, right? Mm-hmm. With the name Horatio, which is really interesting. So his his name adds an extra beat. So they're a little nervous. And there's a little bit more going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Horatio says, most like it. It harrows me with fear and wonder. And that's a plus one, that's too. It's also an extra beat. Wonder. It would be spoke to. Question it, Horatio. Again, Horatio's name. Add an extra beat. What art thou that usurps this time of night, together with that fair and warlike form in which the majesty of buried Denmark did sometimes march by heaven, I charge thee speak? know, so he's like trying to address it like it's alive or something. And he says, so he describes it. So right. whatever you're seeing, sometimes they play the ghost as not seen. Right. You know? mm-hmm. He says the fair and warlike form. Mm-hmm. So you're dressed like a soldier. Mm-hmm. Right. In which the majesty of buried Denmark, they use the country name to denote the king. king. right. So the buried king of Denmark marched in this armor sometimes. Right. So what are you, who are you that you're taking his armor, right? It is offended. See, it stalks away. Stay, speak, speak. I charge thee, speak. So stay, speak, speak. I charge thee, speak is seven beats. There's three empty beats there. And, you know, once again, you could put him anywhere you want, probably before the speak, right? Or after the speak. He's trying to give him a chance to say something. Stay. Speak. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, stay, speak. 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 I charge thee speak. You know? Yeah, yeah. Tis gone.
2: Tis gone and will not answer. How now, Horatio? You tremble and look pale.
1: Yeah, that's something that the audience wouldn't necessarily be able to see or that the actor can't conjure, right? It's hard to, like, I'm going to now play pale. Yeah right, <laughs> right. <laughs> So he has to say it for him, right?
2: Is not this something more than fantasy? What think you
1: on? Before my God, I might not disbelieve without the sensible and true avouch of mine own eyes. Is it not like the king? As thou art to thyself. So then there's five extra beats there for him to like pause and think. think. There, there's a bit of a pause where people can actually think for a second. And then he describes him again. Such was the very armor he had on when he, the ambitious Norway, combated. It's a very awkward
2: line, Yeah, He's uncomfortable.
1: He's uncomfortable. So he was dressed in this very same thing when he fought that battle with Fortinbras' father. And he says, "'Tis strange."
2: "'Thus twice before, and jump at this dead hour, with
1: martial stock hath he gone by our watch.' And jump just means exactly, yeah. right? Exactly at this time. And we skip a little bit, and Horatio says, This bodes some strange eruption to our state. Good now, sit down and tell me, he
2: that knows, why this same strict and most observant watch so nightly toils the subject of the land, and why such daily cast of brazen cannon and foreign mart for implements of war. Why such impress of shipwrights whose sore task does not divide the Sunday from the week? What might be toward that this sweaty haste doth make the night-joint laborer with the day? Who ist that can inform me?
1: Yeah, so that's a big fucking question, right? Yeah. Why are we all around the clock? And even on Sundays? Yeah. Doing and this the watch. Writes, the shipwrights are building new boats, yeah. right? Yep. Even on Sundays. Yep. And and the cast of brazen can they're making new cannons. Yep. All day and all night. Yeah. Why? What are we worried about? What are we worried about? Yeah. So the cannons and the ships are definitely not for a ghost, right? Nope. nope. So he's nope. like, What the fuck? Why are we here all the time watching what is going on? Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because it's my duty, but I need to know. Yeah. Right? So Horatio's gonna enlighten him. Yeah. That can I. At least the whisper goes so. So whispering mm-hmm. is like Gossip. rumors, yeah. right? Gossip. That's another symptom of corruption, of right. a corrupt state, right?
2: Talking behind people's Talking backs. Talking behind
1: people's backs and, and surmising and not really knowing. Mm-hmm. And that's an uncomfortable place, right? Yeah. Our last king, whose image in but now appeared to us, was, as you know, by Fortinbras of Norway... too, pricked on by a most emulate pride, dared to the combat. So in these last couple lines, if you look in the folio, and maybe some editors will be brave enough to do this, there starts to be a whole lot of parentheses in Mm. this speech. Mm -hmm. And parentheses is new for Shakespeare. So you guys have to remember that punctuation of all kinds was new, and they were trying to figure out what does it mean when I put in a comma. What does it mean? What is an exclamation point for? That's a paper. It was brand new. So parentheses were brand new. Yeah. And Shakespeare was trying them out, and I think and you know a lot of people think different things what I think that's the first whiff of subtext right. in Shakespeare. Right. Right. So it's what the act it's what the character is imposing his own judgment on whatever it is he's saying. Yeah. Yes. So, there too pricked on by most emulate pride. He's saying something about his king being, you know, too proud to not say no. I won't take you on in this crazy Viking battle. war. <laughs> this, yeah, and this, uh, it was like a trial by combat kind right. of a thing, right? Yeah, where you know we two will fight. We're gonna fight it out, and then if I lose, you get these things, and if you lose, I get these things. Right, that's what their fight was all about. So. In which our valiant Hamlet, the father, for so this side of our known world esteemed him. So there's a little judgment there. like A little bit, yeah. Our people esteemed him as valiant. I don't know if I agree. Right. Right. In which our valiant Hamlet, for so this side of our known world esteemed him, did slay this Fortinbras, who by a sealed compact, well ratified by law and heraldry, did forfeit with his life all those his lands which he stood seized of, To the conqueror, so the fathers. Right. So, well ratified by law and heraldry, so
2: law and and tradition, yeah. right, and, uh, and family line, right, yeah. did forfeit with his life, in parentheses, in other words, he got murdered in this yeah. this duel, um, all those his lands which he stood seized of, in other words, which he had taken, taken yeah. to the
1: conqueror being King Hamlet. So this thing is almost like the feud, right? Mm-hmm. It's been going on for a while. Denmark and Norway fighting over, squabbling over, you know, territory lines, and, you know, one generation takes this whole chunk, and then the next generation says, you know what, I want that fucking chunk back. It's like and Israel so, and Palestine. Yeah. And so there's another skirmish, and they get the chunk back. And then there's on and on, like, it's just stupid, Ugh. stupid humans. Ugh. Stupid humans. And Horatio concludes by saying, and this, I take it, is the main motive of our preparations— The source of this our watch and the chief head of this post-haste and rummage in the land. Rummage. Rummage. It sounds like rummage. It's the same thing. Bustling. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this to-do that's going on around. Yeah, yeah. I think it be no other but in so.
2: Well, may it sort that this portentous.
1: A portent is an omen, Uh right? So something that is an omen.
2: Well, may it sort that this portentous figure comes armed through our watch, so like the king that was and is the question
1: of these wars. Mm. The king that was. The king that was the question of these wars and the king that also is, is. still, because now Hamlet is dead. Mm-hmm. So that changes the whole deal, right? So who might come invading? Young Fortinbras goes. you, now that you're dead, old man, I'm going to take back this land. Right. It belongs it's to mine. me. It's mine. Okay. And then Horatio says, a moat it is to trouble the mind's eye. A moat is a little tiny speck of nothing. Yeah, you see moats of dust when the sun comes through your window and there are yeah. those little things, things flying that... around. Yeah. So in comparison to what he's about to tell you, this whole thing is nothing. In the most high and palmy state of Rome, a little ere the mightiest Julius fell, the graves stood tenantless, and the sheeted dead did squeak and gibber in the Roman streets. Listen to all those consonants. Good grief. Yeah, right. Right? The graves stood open with nobody in them, and the
2: dead, who were sheeted, in other words covered, did squeak
1: and gibber. In the Roman streets. So the dead were walking the streets, their mom. (laughs) <laughs> right? Mummies! were walk- When Julius Caesar fell... Right. So, like, Hamlet walking, Hamlet's ghost walking, that's nothing. Let me tell you about something really important. Right. The dead right. were walking the streets. The dead were walking <laughs> the streets. And then, as stars with trains of fire and dews of blood, so, like, red-tailed comets uh-huh. were falling, disasters in the sun, and the moist star upon whose influence Neptune's empire stands... That's the moon, because Neptune is the god of the sea, right? right? And we know that the tides move with the moon. Yeah, so the moist star is the moon. Uh, was sick almost to doomsday with eclipse. So there were so many lunar eclipses at the time of Caesar's death. Really? That's not really how lunar eclipses work. No. They don't all come up on each other like that, but okay. No. <laughs> anyway, he's like, there were so many crazy things that happened when Caesar died. And even the like precursor of fierce events. So, precursor is like a precursor, a foreshadowing, mm-hmm. something that comes before. You know, like the cursor on your computer is the thing that comes before you write a letter. Right, there you go. It's a precursor. As harbingers preceding still the fates and prologue to the omen coming on, have heaven and earth together demonstrated unto our climatures and countrymen. But soft! Behold, lo, where it comes again!
2: Re-enter ghost.
1: Yeah, we don't really need that, right. do we?
2: because Horatio says, here it comes again.
1: It. Not here he comes again, here it, it comes again. it is, again. Here right? it is. <laughs> I'll cross it, though it blast me. Stay illusion. If thou hast any sound or use of voice, speak to me. There's seven beats of silence. Speak to me. He's leaving some space, because last time he only left one beat of silence for the ghost to speak, and it didn't speak. So now he's leaving seven beats of silence. If there be any good thing to be done that may to thee do ease and grace to me, speak to me. Stay and speak! Stop it, Marcellus! Tis gone.
2: We do it wrong, being so majestical to offer it the show of violence. For it is, as the air, invulnerable, and our vein blows malicious mockery. Vain as in weather vein,
1: right? Yeah, interesting, because the 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 cock cock. just crowed. The cock crew.
2: Okay, so (laughs) we we do have a high energy scene, which is probably keeping the groundlings occupied, because there's a ghost, and it's exciting, and it's not lovey-dovey. But, you know, throw in the word cock is good. Yeah, 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 why not? A couple times. Yeah. (laughs) It was about to speak when the cock crew.
1: <laughs> I love crew. Yeah. It's a past tense of crow. <laughs> and then it started like a guilty thing. That's it's a great embedded stage direction. Right, started like startled. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for the ghost. Mm-hmm. That as soon as it hears the rooster, it goes, <gasps> I gotta go, I gotta leave, right? Can't be out in the daytime. No. Upon a fearful summons. I have heard the cock that is the trumpet to the morn doth with his lofty and shrill sounding throat awake the god of day, and at his warning, whether in sea or fire, in earth or air, the extravagant and erring spirit hides. Extravagant, meaning he's wandering, the spirit that's wandering beyond his boundaries. He shouldn't be out at night right. in ill-infested waters.
2: <laughs> um, and erring spirit, highs. Highs meaning leaves. High, leaves. Yeah, you know, goes away. High. Go, go,
1: go. Mm-hmm. Highs to his confine. And of the truth therein, this present object made probation. So like this ghost proved that theory. Mm-hmm. Probation is like proof. Cock-a-doodle-doo and the ghost took off. took off. And Marcellus says, it faded on the crowing of the cock. We got the word cock twice. Yay. Uh, three times. And, yes. And then Marcellus goes on to kind of elaborate what Horatio said about the cock crowing before the birth of Jesus to keep away the nasty spirits. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing in a lot of religious symbolism. Symbolism. Reference. Yeah. So have I heard and do in part believe it. But look, the morn in russet mantle-clad walks o'er the dew of yon high eastward hill. Ah, such a beautiful description of dawn breaking, right? The morning breaking over the hill. Break we our watch-up, and by my advice, let us impart what we have seen tonight unto young Hamlet, for upon my life this spirit, dumb to us, will speak to him. Do you consent we shall acquaint him with it, as needful in our loves fitting our duty? Let's do, I pray, and I this morning know where we
2: shall find him most conveniently.
1: Is that a rhyming couplet? No.
2: But that's the end of the scene. Well, what happened? Well, Shakespeare's starting to play with some stuff. He's starting to play with rhythm and punctuation and sounds in a way that he hasn't been playing with before. And um, I feel like because it cuts off where you don't expect it to... It adds to that. It, yes, it causes
1: more. Right. Worry. right? Yeah. What do you mean you're leaving the stage? <laughs> <laughs> what, That's what? not time. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So interesting. <laughs> right. So Shakespeare is a very, as opposed to Romeo and Juliet, he was a young playwright. He's a good seasoned playwright now. Mm-hmm. And this is one, you know, some people would argue his magnum opus, mm. his, you know, mm. greatest work. But. It was written in a time when he was writing some of his greatest things. Mm -hmm. Othello, Mac, right? Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful words.
2: Lear came after?
1: Lear came, right? Lear, Mac, Othello in the same time.
2: Right. and and and
1: Cleopatra. Yeah. 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 Which gets short shrift. Huge, Yeah, it does. Huge ideas, huge stories. Yeah. But it's also interesting, he was also playing to the crowd, because this was a popular thing that was very popular with Elizabethans in this time, which is revenge tragedies. Mm-hmm. They loved them. They couldn't get enough. Mm. It was like fucking Die Hard 10. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Summer blockbuster. Right. <laughs> Let's have more. Yeah. Kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Stab yeah. them on stage. Stabby, yeah. stabby, stabby. Yeah. So exciting. Right? Yeah, and, and it had a particular form. So we just actually saw the beginning of that form, which is the exposition and some kind of supernatural creature that sets the stage for why there should be motive to have revenge. Interesting. We did talk about John Shakespeare and his John ghost. John Shakespeare! Yeah, and there were a lot of revenge tragedies with fathers in them, like this ghost. Like Don Giovanni is an opera that has that same kind of thing in it. Groovy! So next up, we will have some, uh, the planning stage of the revenge <laughs> tragedy, <laughs> which Hamlet is going to wallow in for a good three hours or so. Right. But can I just say
2: something? I, like Nina said, and I agree with them, that if you play, and I know you agree too, that if you play Hamlet as always being doer and uh, what's the word I want? Um,
1: heavy. heavy
2: and brooding and like it, it gets dull really
1: fast. Yeah, you cannot have. First of all you're not going to have four hours of it. Please oh please never ever play the whole play.
2: Please don't do it. Please you can don't do you it. can make very nice cuts that don't ruin the play.
1: I'm looking at you, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. If your teachers go, go home and watch the Kenneth Branagh no, Hamlet. No, no, don't. Tell them to fuck right off. Go watch the David Tennant <laughs> Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. Go that one is Slings lovely. Slings and Arrows. Oh, go watch
2: Slings and Arrows, even better, because that's <laughs> so funny.
1: So fun. Yeah. Uh, it's like I often tell my actors when they're approaching a very giant speech. There's this thing that they get called (laughs) long-speech-itis, right, (laughs) where they hit the first line with the whole dread of having to do the whole thing. So don't hit the first scene of Hamlet with the dread of having to read 26,000 lines or whatever the fuck it is. It just, uh, take it as it comes and enjoy each piece. Yeah. There's cocks in there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I'm Erin. And I'm Diana. And this is
2: Fuck Shakespeare. Shakespeare. For additional fun shit from Fuck Shakespeare, you can head to our website at fckshakespeare.com. Or find us on Instagram at
1: fckshakespeare. If you are enjoying this podcast, you could support us for as little as 99 cents per month. Just click the support button on the page on Spotify or Anchor.
0: Tell your friends.